0: Welcome to the Abundant Edge Podcast. Here we dive deep into the worlds of permaculture, natural building, and regenerative living as we aspire to help you reach your highest potential for yourself, for your community, and for this beautiful planet that we all share. As always, I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher and I have a great session for you in this week's episode, so let's jump right in. Are you looking for the best resources to help you build a regenerative lifestyle? New Society Publishers has been a leader in sustainable publishing for over 30 years. They publish good news and solutions for individuals and organizations seeking to change their lives so that they may change the world for the better. Their company mandate goes far beyond the single bottom line of profit. They care deeply not only about what they publish, but also how they do business. They believe in the authors that they take on and the works that they bring to the marketplace. From sustainable living to progressive parenting, New Society Publishers has the books you need to help build a better world. Buy your print and e-books online at www.newsociety.com or at fine bookstores near you. Have you been researching and learning about regenerative living, permaculture, and natural building for a while, but are still a bit unsure of where to start? Are you new to these topics and feeling overwhelmed about the sheer scope of information and knowledge that's out there
1: to be absorbed?
0: Are you a seasoned professional in the field looking to expand your experience and expertise with other professionals who are pushing the boundaries of regenerative projects?
1: Well, you're in luck here at Abundant Edge. We have just what you need to take the next essential steps towards putting the information from these podcasts, interviews, books, and articles into action. We offer courses for beginners, intermediates, and even seasoned professionals to learn from successful regenerative business owners, farmers, builders, and other artisans who are keen to
0: share their knowledge. Our teachers and facilitators have been working and experimenting tirelessly to provide the most up-to-date information available to help you put your skills and efforts to use in regenerating the planet and transforming the global economy into one that abandons the outdated model of consumption and destruction into one of health, stewardship, cooperation, and abundance. Come and get your hands dirty. You can get a full list of courses and trainings
1: as well as volunteer opportunities now at AbundantAge.com. We're looking forward to seeing you here.
0: All right. Hello, everyone out there. Welcome back to part two of the Abundant Edge design criteria checklist. If you're just tuning in now, I would really recommend that you go back to last week's episode and listen to the first portion. Now, just remember that the free PDF that accompanies these two episodes can be downloaded for free at AbundantEdge.com in the show notes for this episode for the podcast. Now, last week, we went in deep about defining your vision and goals. We went through the visioning exercise and then covered the second portion about site analysis and inventory of resources and limitations. Talking about site analysis and mapping, inventory of materials, and now today we're going to move on to invisible structures. As usual I'm joined by my friend and colleague Neil Haggerty, so let's jump right on in and start on with the second portion of our design criteria checklist. Let's go now to another very important category that is often overlooked and can really gum up the progress of your projects if it's forgotten. And of course, I'm talking about invisible structures. Now, invisible structures are the rules and regulations that govern what you can legally do and how within a society. Different places have very different standards. So I won't go into any specifics for any given region. Um, and there are a lot of places that even have a complete lack of, Of rules and regulations or at least that can be circumvented very easily so it's really worth doing your research here to see what kinds of incentives and limitations there are to your project plans in many countries and regions around the world there are also subsidies and other forms of support that governments and other organizations offer to incentivize ecosystem care you might even be able to leverage these for financial gain if you meet those stipulations so let's start at the beginning I'm talking about codes, permits, and regulations. So you want to start by doing a thorough research into what you are legally allowed to build with and what you're allowed to build. What kind of waste and water treatment facilities are you legally required to have on your site? This can vary drastically depending on what kind of ecological features you're near. If you're in an environmentally protected zone, there could be some very strict limitations. Also, a lot of urban areas have very strict codes and regulations about what you're allowed to do. Now, how will new construction and infrastructure affect your property taxes? This is something that a lot of people don't think through. When you reassess, when the taxman comes by to see what sort of resources on your land and all of a sudden you're strapped with a yearly property tax bill that way outstrips what you had in your budget to continue to develop your site, this can be an extremely limiting factor and is worth doing research on uh, as, as ahead of time as possible. What kind of checks, inspections, and reviews are you required to have done on your site and within what amount of time? All of this is worth researching. I have known people who have had their entire operations shut down because they did not foresee some of the regulations that they needed to accommodate within their project planning. Now, let's look at some of the, the positive sides of this. I'm talking about subsidies. There are many places in the world that have financial incentives known as subsidies for all kinds of environmental regeneration efforts. Reforesting land or planting certain crops are just one example. Do your research thoroughly and you might be able to make some extra money for things that you are already planning on doing as long as you meet the criteria stipulated for those subsidies. Now within budget, you want to look at it through the lens of a timeline. So you may have certain amount of funds already, some that are coming in later in time and some that could be available in emergency situations. So let's look at those individually. What do you already have available? What is liquid assets that you can use right now to advance your projects? What are some funds that will become available in the future and when? What kind of funds can be made available if absolutely necessary, how and when? Knowing how to get access to these things is just as important as knowing that they exist because it does not help you if some of your resources are tied up and only accessible on a longer time frame. What kind of funds can be acquired in your 1, 5, 10, and 20-year timelines? How can you make those available? And lastly, is this project meant to be profitable or at least self-sustaining? What will be the primary sources of income? And what are the overhead requirements to make that income? Again, this is really important to take a look at. The overhead requirements to make that income need to be considered before you start calculating what the income could be. A perfect example is here on our farm. We've got goats, chickens, and are planning on getting more animals, which have the potential to give us more of an income from the place. But until we have built proper pens to house them, accounted for the overheads of feed costs, which, you know, you can mitigate through things like food scraps and waste products from other aspects within your community. But if you don't consider those and just think of it as an income, you're going to forget the inputs that are required to make that a solvent enterprise. Now we've reached the design portion of this criteria list. We can finally get to the fun part. With all of the information gathered from the previous categories, you should be well prepared to make a conscientious and insightful design. Remember to think through the timeline of the components that you're designing to mitigate obsolescence and decay especially in the case of infrastructure and buildings. If those are not considered from the beginning, you're going to have infrastructure that immediately starts to fall apart and is going to need maintenance, which comes with a lot of costs and time commitments. Ideally, your designs will improve and over time, or at least be easy to maintain and improve or renovate. So first, you've got to define the components of your goals and your visions, which we completed earlier, the first stage of this criteria which need to be designed and planned for things like building infrastructure landscape utilities and especially water and we'll get into the details in those now
1: and this should be like a fun time right so you should you you know you've got some homework done there's probably a group of you at this point sitting down to design your enterprise um and and so using you know some knowing some basic tools to stimulate your creativity and to produce coherent designs is like really really good thing to do you know things like random assembly niche analyses there's loads of st- there's loads of stuff on these in the in the permaculture designers manual but you can also uh google them um you know really great exercises to do um and kind of like having a good base map and just deciding on elements you want and putting them in post-its. You don't, instead of like getting all, you know, worried about how to draw the the chicken coop, just write chicken coop on a post-it and then move it around the board, you know, and go like, okay, chicken coop could go here. Garden could go here. Food forest could go here. Pond could go here, you know, but, and, and start filling it up and start drawing arrows between different things and, and to stick to, um, to symbolize interactions, you know, and remember that you want lot. essentially the stability and the resilience of your structure depends on the number of beneficial interactions that are there between elements. It's not necessarily about having a super diverse system so much as it is having one with various elements, all of which are interacting with each other. So, you know, you want your garden interacting with your uh, animal house or your compost system or your worm compost, which is also like going back into, you know, your waste from your garden, for example, goes into your chicken coop. Uh, your food forest is also f- range for your, your goats, your living fence. It gives you privacy and, 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 and privacy also gives you forage for your animals and seasonal fruits. Um, you know, this kind of idea, right? Create, making sure that there's lots of po- positive interactions and you're thinking about energy flows. You know, you, so things that you want interacting with each other on a physical level, you know, probably should be located near to each other. Um, and then this is the reason that you start to look at the multifunctionality of energy flows as well, right? So you're, your pathways and your fencing and your water lines will kind of come in at this point as well, I think, you know. So those three should really go together in a sense. Um, And, you know, so you start to slowly settle into the the kind of nitty-gritty of the design.
0: Now, the list that we have here does not need to be in a particular order, but it is worth knowing that your buildings are likely to eat up the majority of your budget when it comes to land development. Now assuming that you wanna live on the site and you're not living off-site somewhere else and already have your housing taken care of, you wanna start with your zone zero. Mostly just because so many of your energy flows are going to go through your buildings. Most of all of your utilities, as well as the most frequent interactions from humans, all happen in and around the immediate surroundings of buildings or your zone zero. Now this is when you can refer back to some of the data that you've gathered and especially start looking at your needs and your wants lists. How much of the resources on your site can be used in construction? This is really going to help you keep your budget under control. If you can source most of your materials from your site itself from there, how much can be salvaged, recycled, borrowed, or rented? And what are the buildings traditionally made from and designed to facilitate in your area? Now, I'm talking about going back in time and looking at the vernacular buildings. What would you need to update to suit your needs and wants from how buildings were traditionally made in your area? There are plenty of great references to see what the vernacular structures were wherever you happen to be building. Most all sites around the world Have a very rich building history even if those buildings aren't still standing there might be a reason why they're not still standing either they were purposely built as in as temporary structures or the maintenance and replacement of key elements of those structures was planned into the construction from the initial site now from there consider infrastructure this can go very very deep into detail so i've kept it just to two bullet points your primary access, things like gates, walls, paths, roads, etc. And your secondary access, things like energy flows within the site for efficiency and ease of use. Now this can be broken down on the macro or the micro scale. You can look at energy flows within, within each individual building or component on your site. And you can look at it as a site-wide energy flow analysis as well, like Neil mentioned just a second ago landscape features and gardens are extremely important. Now we're talking about your zones one through five. We could go into a lot more detail about this, but it's going to be extremely specific to your goals. So this is where you want to review and revisit the goals and visioning exercise from the beginning of this criteria list. And now let's talk a little bit about something that is very often overlooked in the design process and that's maintenance. This is a really important one. The more maintenance your systems require, the more your time and your budget will be tied up, preventing you from advancing other projects.
1: Yeah, this is crucial, and it's kind of like back to what we were saying at the at the start of the thing. Of you know, your enthusiasm will inevitably wane slightly once you you know figure out that wow, I can grow my own food and live off the grid. And um, so, thinking about maintenance systems, and again, just thinking about energy flows. Uh, the biggest cost any system always has is is labor and, and human capital, you know. Um, so just, and if, you know, if you're a good permaculture designer and if you're accepting feedback as you put your systems in place, this should kind of flow organically. Um, you will, you know, ideally, and this is why these systems are kind of fluid in their design, the best design gets rolled out over five or ten years as unnecessary work is is slowly eliminated but the more you plan for it at the start the easier those little retrofits will be so that's why relative uh, location within your design is is very important like i was alluding to earlier you know, like one for us, for example, is is turning compost piles. <laughs> I remember when I first learned how to make compost, and I was like, thought it was great, and I was like, oh, I don't need to go to the gym anymore. I'll just turn compost piles. This is awesome, and it's a great workout. But you know, I'm 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 not getting any younger. Uh, <laughs> I didn't i I was pretty honest with myself after a while and said I don't want to turn a compost pile. Uh, I'm going to get my chickens and my worms and uh, my you know, my other animals to do that for me. And maybe I'll like clean out an animal pen once every uh, once every three months, but it'll be one blast of work and then it's done and the, and the animals and the bacterias do all the rest of the work. So it's like, you know, <laughs> those kinds of things. Being honest with yourself, I think is like, is very important.
0: Yeah, you really do need to be honest with yourself about what you are likely to commit. And if you don't have a lot of experience working on farms or in living systems in the past, Be very conservative with your estimates as to your own inputs, as well as the budget that you have to put into these things. Um, You can always advance things along faster if you have more time and energy. But if you plan for a certain amount of contribution that you're unable to match, it's really going to throw off the progress and the advancement of your goals. So the last category within this is utilities and especially water. Where does the water naturally flow and how can it be harnessed for infiltration, storage, and dispersal? Now, we analyze this pretty carefully in uh, our site analysis portion of this criteria. Now, put all of this information to work for you and see how you can manipulate the water flows for the advancement of the agenda that you have. Now, where is your access to power? I assume that most of you want access to electricity just for the convenience of all the work that it can do. Now, whether you're connecting to a municipal electrical power line or if you're planning on going off grid and creating your own energy, you need to assess the potential for your site to receive those things. Do you have power lines nearby? Do you have an ample supply of solar, wind, or even micro hydro in order to generate your own? And what is the most efficient way to access it and access it more importantly, where it's needed on the site. So it's great if you've got power lines right up to the border of your property, but if your house is on the very far end within your design, you're going to spend a lot of money in putting in the infrastructure and running the lines to get that energy to where you're actually going to use it. So think long term, not just what is convenient at the moment as your site matures, what are going to be the needs and uh, requirements for energy flows being imported from far away. From here, let's move on to the last but most overlooked category of an effective design, and that of course is strategy. Now this is the part that is easiest to forget because it's talked about so little in permaculture and holistic design circles, but in our experience it can be a make or break part of achieving your goals and the goals of your clients. A good design can completely fall apart or be executed poorly without a good plan and adequate preparation. So take your time on this section and go through it as many times as needed to feel confident that everybody involved is on the same page and knows their expectations and responsibilities.
1: Yeah, you know, I think a, a key thing that a strategy in, incorporates is a timeline. Um, you know, it's the difference between a vision and. Um, it's kind of like the combination of a vision, a plan, and a timeline for me. Um, so, you know, you've got your vision, you know where you want to get to, you've got your big dreams, and then it's a strategy is being able to to go year one, year two, year five, where are we going to get to and how and what are we going to do in what order and who's going to do it? <laughs> you know, that's essentially what you're talking about. Uh, and that allows you to then delineate responsibilities within your team or your organization or your family or whatever it is and say, okay, we're going to make this happen. Um, and I think, you know, a good leader can keep the overall strategy in mind as, you know, it's almost like tracking the course of a ship, you know, storms will come in, you'll have to put out fires, things will change and, and you will get, you know, you'll also change your, your exact plans uh, and where you want to get to will change, but you, you sort of keep the overall course in mind. Um, So, you know, getting that clear and writing down, those timelines um and then revisiting them regularly i think very very important
0: yeah neil outlined that very well so let's walk through each of those things individually and start by setting priorities within your inventory and your budget so start within your budget and resources list what can you realistically complete in this first year the combination of what you have available And the time you have to invest is going to be the determining factor here. What among the list of tasks and jobs to do are the most urgent, the most important in the long run, and able to be completed at a high quality? Now, the reason why I put this high quality part at the end here is that there are a ton of things that you can do and just slap them together. Um, that may function for a certain amount of time. But there's a big difference between doing something at a high quality and doing it adequately to get by in the short run. If you do it in the short run and just slap something together, it's going to work for a little while and might be essential uh, to move things forward. But you need to understand that those things are going to need so much more maintenance. In fact, probably are going to be Uh, completely rebuilt or restructured down the line much faster than if you're able to take a little bit more time and perhaps put a little bit more resource into the construction or the implementation of it, looking kind of long term, knowing that the maintenance is how you're going to save uh, within a longer time frame make sure that you assess the difference between those. So like we can slap together some furniture that'll help us store some of our goods and keep them out of the way and organized for now. But already some of the stuff that we put together really quickly, or is that what we call a chapoos here where we are, um, has already started to kind of fall apart. And, you know, we did planned for that in the beginning and we know that a lot of these things are going to require maintenance and as we kind of have more time to invest in and money comes back in we'll be doing them at a much higher standard
1: yeah but it's also great for me it was a it was a great strategy because we looked at what we wanted for example these animal systems goats um goats chickens worms rabbits and we were like all right we want all these things we know pretty much exactly where we want to put them and how we want them to interact with everything. But there's going to be some kinks in this. We've got hilly, rocky land, uh, a climate that we're still actually getting used to. I've been here for four years, but I'm still learning about it. Um, And we know that we we were able to basically put this animal house together for you know, minimal costs with leftover building materials, essentially, and and a lot of our own labor. Uh, And we know that as we iron out the kinks of it, and especially look at like energy losses, you know, this is taking too long, this is annoying, um, we'll be able to redesign it and rebuild it to be a permanent structure. But when we've received the feedback, and, you know, this is just a good general point. It's like, if you're, planning on moving water around the site, there's probably no need, you know, eventually having those water lanes buried under your access lanes is a great point to get to because it's great use of space um, and, you know, it it's it just makes a lot of sense to do it. But for the first year or two, there's no need to bury those water lanes and there's no need to fix those pads. Anything that's not buried is really easy to change, um, you know, and putting in, um slapdash systems that you know you're going to improve before you like overcommit and build this really expensive thing that's going to be really hard to retrofit you know those those can kind of work in your favor because it allows you to work on a budget first until you get things to the way you really want them to be um, and then invest in that extra little bit of efficiency or security or whatever you need to make a system that's working pretty well That's where you dial it in a couple of years later, I think.
0: Yeah, Neil made a great point there. I definitely advocate for planning in certain temporary structures, especially when you're not 100% certain of how those designs are going to work and how they're going to flow as you interact with them. Especially on our farm, we're doing a lot of experimental stuff here. We're trying a lot of new things in order to get the insights and the information needed to be able to confidently recommend or steer clients uh, and organizations in one direction or another based on what we've actually observed. And in order to do that, we've needed to put up some temporary structures that'll give us that information without kind of committing us to a design that we're not yet sure is going to work. Um, and I really encourage people to look seriously into temporary structures, especially if you're working from a limited budget and are not really certain about how you're going to interact with them. So moving now to strategy, let's talk about what needs to be designed, bought and sourced, and in what order of execution. So what needs to be designed before you begin? In our case, it was the animal structures, uh, the water access lines, and especially the house. So, one of the first things that we did even before we started putting in some of the gardens was assessing where our permanent structure, our living space, and what's probably going to serve as our offices is going to go, where it makes sense on the landscape, how it can be integrated in the landscape so that it actually is improving the ecology around it rather than just uh, basically consuming resources. And from there, we started to design a lot of the individual components of the farm around that. What needs to be bought or sourced before you begin? This will give you an idea of how much of your budget is going to be taken up by any individual task. Now, hopefully, if you've done your research well earlier in the stage of this criteria, you'll have a whole list of things that you already have access to either for free or very cheap within your local community or ideally even on site that can really really minimize the amount that needs to be bought or sourced from further away. Now, from there, you want to break each of these into major tasks um, or each of these major tasks into smaller individual tasks and order them appropriately. So, the obvious example would be to build the foundations before the walls of your house. But in a lot of cases for developing land, it would be improving the soil before you start to plant it out or perhaps planting it with pioneer species that can help to improve the soil quality before you start planting your cash crops or your food. With this information, you can start to move forward with a more uh, concise plan and breaking larger tasks into smaller tasks really takes away the daunting aspect, the fear that comes along with like, oh my goodness, this is such a big undertaking, how are we ever going to do this? If you can break it down into smaller actionable steps uh, that take away the fear or some of the apprehension in getting started... You can look at it on like a day-to-day basis. So, you know, we're slowly building fences around some of our more vulnerable areas here on the farm, but you can't do it in one day. So we put aside a couple of days for running the fence line, a couple more days for putting in the uh, the access gates and the entrance points. And there's probably going to be a little bit of time in maintenance along the line because many of these have not been planted out with the living fence which will eventually go in so breaking it down into smaller tasks makes it much more manageable and less daunting of an undertaking.
1: yeah you know and also taking advice from people and you know looking at education, time spent studying time spent observing as 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 an investment you know um, you know there's great courses you can get there's great, resources out there um that can really like fast track you and if not even fast track you just you know take um look at the whole thing as a process um in which you know you will you will be continually learning and evolving as you go um so that as the landscape evolves you can you can respond to it um you know, and a lot of this stuff is actually about being being comfortable to get into the process and and out of the results. You know, I see definitely a lot of anxiety in some people uh, when they're starting these kinds of things because they want to have the exact thing that they're going to do with their land or that or their project done, but actually having the sort of courage to go like, all right, I don't have these. Answers now. I don't actually know what this place is going to look like or what I'm going to look like in a couple of years, but just be committed to, to this process and to going like, okay, this is, you know, whatever stage we're at. This is where we're at. It's time to observe. It's time to read. It's time to, to research. Hopefully, you know, this podcast and other kinds of things will, will give you sort of a framework so that you can divide up those tasks. Um, you know, maybe you're at the point way back at the start where you just need to do loads of reading about the climate you're in and identify it. Um, you know, maybe you're further down the line. And you need to learn a little bit about, you know, some patchwork designs, putting in ponds, all the rest of it. it. It's fine. You'll, You know, you get there. All the information is out there and there's just loads of people super happy to share it.
0: So now that you have a framework and a bit of a plan moving forward, your major tasks are broken down into manageable steps, we're coming along to the delegation and the accountability portion. And this is the last main portion that we have on this list because this is where all the action happens. Now there's a good chance that you've already started to implement certain things on your site and... This is a good way of kind of reassessing and making sure that everybody's on the same team. And the delegation of tasks is really important so that we don't have a whole lot of people working on the same thing that could be done more efficiently um, with a little bit of structure. So with your list of most important goals now broken down into these manageable steps, with at least a loose order of of execution, decide who should oversee each task and get some accountability To make sure that those people follow through within a reasonable time frame. (laughs) Ideally each task will be given to the person most able and enthusiastic about doing it, but we know that there are many tasks that no one really wants to do. So try to divide those tasks up evenly and equitably. So now if you're working in an organization many of these roles and responsibilities might already be defined and in many cases however these roles need to be shifted or redefined in order to accomplish your goals. The most important thing is to make sure that everyone is aware of their expectations and everyone on the team understands the vision of the organization and are moving forward together. Wow, okay, so in conclusion, if you've made it this far, you've already gone far beyond most designers in planning and designing your projects and your future. Obviously, every project is different, Just as every individual and organization has different goals and resources, but with this level of consideration and observation, you should easily avoid the most common pitfalls and obstacles that hold designs back and sometimes even cause goals to be abandoned. Our aim here at Abundant Edge is to help as many of you as possible to create an abundant and regenerative future for yourselves, your communities, and the planet that we all share. And we sincerely hope that you found this manual useful. And if you have, please feel free to share this far and wide with anyone else who you think may get some value from it. This resource will always be free for everyone, and we look forward to hearing from you if you have any ideas about how these lists can be improved or amended to better serve you.
1: Yeah, definitely. We're, you know, we're still learning, and we're, this is, like I say, this is a, a life of learning, actually, you know, so um, you commit to continually accepting feedback and improving your own processes and in, in turn for us the service we offer to people so absolutely delighted to hear from anyone who has any suggestions or any um feedback on things they've done to improve their design processes and i look forward to hearing from you
0: thank you all so much for listening to us and we'll catch you again next week bye thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode As always, you can find all the show notes for this and all other episodes at AbundantEdge.com by clicking on the podcast tab in the navigation bar. On the website, you can also find a whole range of educational articles as well as the services we offer from design and consulting to education. While you're there, don't forget to take a look at the courses and workshops that we offer, which are all designed to empower you to take back control of your life by giving you the skills to produce your own food, manage landscapes regeneratively, build your own homes and structures with natural materials, and most importantly, to dream ever bigger about the highest potential that you could achieve for yourself, your community, and the planet that we all share. Thank you sincerely to all of you who have and continue to add comments and send feedback to me. Your contributions help this to be the conversation and dialogue that it's meant to be. For anyone else interested, you can email me and the whole team directly at info@abundantedge.com or you can post your questions directly to the Abundant Edge podcast Facebook page to which there's a link in the show notes of this episode. All of your feedback makes these episodes and interviews so much more engaging and help me to give you the information and content that you want. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you again in next week's session.